Thanks, Isaac. Well, good morning. Welcome to the JAR. We're so glad that you're here with us on this 4th of July weekend. And uh, I'd like to begin by having us look at a best-selling book that has uh, been uh, in America over the last few years. It's called uh, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. The Worst Case Scenario uh, Survival Handbook. Um, And it has these short little chapters. So it's not long chapters, but short little ones. And there are topics like this. How to escape quicksand. Okay? How to escape quicksand. How to lower your mic uh, is the second one. But how to to escape quicksand. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. Okay? And how to wrestle an alligator uh, when they are grabbing a hold of you. And this book has sold millions of copies, and it uh, has been on Oprah, so you know it's good. Okay. And some of the advice is quite predictable. Like in the part on how to deal with a charging bull. Okay. In dealing with a charging bull, the first thing you should do is not antagonize the bull. In other words, you don't go up to the bull and go, you stupid bull. Okay? So some of the things are quite practical. And uh, we want to make sure that we understand that. But sometimes the advice is demanding. And it's really, really risky. So on this July 4th weekend, what I wanted to try to figure out was... How savvy and smart are you all with your survival skills? Okay? How savvy and smart are you with your survival skills? So we're going to throw up a question here that uh, is one of the chapters of the book. What should you do if you are confronted by an angry mountain lion? Okay? A, run. B, play dead. C, make yourself bigger by opening your coat. Or D, sing a gentle, happy song. So look to the person beside you and give your response, okay? Um, What should you do if you're confronted by an angry mountain lion? Okay, how many of you said sing a gentle, happy song? Raise your hand, okay? You're wrong, okay? The correct answer, according to this book is C, okay? Make yourself bigger by opening your coat. For some of you, that's the only thing you've got right all July 4th weekend, isn't it? Huh? So you can be prideful in that and leave and kind of be like, oh yeah, this is, this is going to be really good. Okay, you want to try another one? Okay, here's the same situation, okay? What should you do if you are confronted by an angry mountain lion and you have a small child with you? Okay. A, pick up the child. B, shield the child with your body. C, shield your body with the child. Or D, run. Because if you run, you might not be able to outrun the mountain lion, but you can outrun the cat, right? I mean, you can outrun the child. You want to know what the correct answer is, don't you? Some of you are just waiting. It is... A, pick up the child. 
Do anything you can to make yourself look bigger so this thing doesn't eat you, okay? Whatever it is, make yourself look bigger. Well, the authors of this book say this. The principle behind this book is a simple one. You just never know. You really never know what curves life will throw at you and what is lurking around the corner. You never really know when you might be called upon to choose life or death with your actions. But when you are called, and you will be called, you will know what to do. And that's why that book was written. Well, this morning, I want to help you to understand what you need to do when you face life's most difficult times. When you have your worst case scenario, when you have to make a choice between life and death, there is a book that will help you through that. And this is the book, the Bible. It gives you that wisdom. Now, the first thing that we want to look at when you're facing a uh, worst case scenario in life, you need to remember this. God is able to rescue you. When you're facing your worst life case scenario, God is able to rescue you. Now, throughout this summer, we have been looking at the book of Daniel. And as we've been looking at the book of Daniel, we have uh, gone through the first two chapters, and today we're going to look at chapter 3. So on the screens will come uh, this chapter, and you can read along uh, with me, um, but you can just kind of follow along, I guess. So let's read. King Nebuchadnezzar had a gold statue that was made, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And he had it set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the king gave orders for all his officials to come together. The princes, governors, lieutenant governors, commissioners, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other officials of the provinces. They were to attend the dedication of the statue which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When all these officials gathered for the dedication and stood in front of the statue, a herald announced in a loud voice, People of all nations, races, and languages, you will hear the sound of the trumpets, followed by the playing of oboes, lyres, zithers, and harps, and then all the other instruments will join in. As soon as the music starts, you are to bow down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not bow down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And as soon as they heard the sound of the instruments, the people of all the nations, races, and languages bowed down and worshipped the gold statue which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, if you were with us last week or you've been with us any time this summer, you know that the character of King Nebuchadnezzar is a man who is violent and who is ruthless. But last week, you'll remember that we got to the end of chapter 2, and it was like King Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart. It was almost as if he was on the verge of becoming a servant of God, of Daniel's God, of the most high God. If you remember, Daniel was the one who came to him and told him exactly what his dream was, and then interpreted it for him. 
And at the end of that, he talked about this coming judgment of this big rock that would come into earth. And it would be a rock that would set things, set things right. And it would tear down this big statue that Nebuchadnezzar had been dreaming about. And as we leave chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, Surely, Daniel, your God is the God of gods. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I know He is the only true God. But one chapter later, King Nebuchadnezzar kind of uh, forgets about his dream in which Jesus Christ would one day come to planet Earth would be the solid rock that everyone could build their lives upon. He would be the living stone, the living rock. But Nebuchadnezzar forgets all about this. And he forgets about Daniel's message of this shattering judgment. But apparently, he does remember that he was the head of the statue. And by being the head of the statue, he knew that if it was going to be knocked down, we had to get some things in line in our government. And so he decided that uh, things had to change. Because if you remember from last week too, the bottom of the statue is made out of what? Clay and iron. In other words, it's very vulnerable. It could drop any time. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to create this story of all of these different captured people and nations and like a melting pot, kind of like the U.S., just a melting pot of cultures all together, living together, and he wanted to create some unity. You see, for some of us, we think a multicultural society is just something that we're experiencing now. But it's happened throughout time. And King Nebuchadnezzar had all these cultures and he had to get them unified into one particular group of people. And so what does he do? Well, he creates a religion, right? One common religion that everyone could reach out to, could bow down to, and could worship. A gold statue that everyone had to worship. It was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. It was this magnificent piece of art. And when the band played, everyone was to bow down. But I think the reality is, Nebuchadnezzar, he's not trying to create a religion. He just wants to hold on to his political power. He wants everyone in the kingdom to be on the same page. Everyone to assemble together And then he tells them this, that if you do not bow down and worship this golden statue, I will throw you where? Into a blazing furnace. In other words, he will burn you alive. So the U2 band of Babylon gets up there, and they start playing, and everyone's like, yeah, man, we're into this! And they see this big old statue. And it's like, who can get down first to bow down? Because they're thinking, man, the king and officials are looking. If I can get to my knees first, maybe I'll get something. And they all fall down immediately. And they start worshiping this statue. In fact, the actual language of the Bible says this, as soon as they were hearing, they were falling. I mean, all these people, thousands of people just falling down. I mean, it was like a race at who could bow down first to this statue. But then all of a sudden, you start hearing this little rumble. 
There's a ripple effect in the crowd. All of a sudden you start hearing people talk. And pretty soon they're not talking so much. They're all down on their knees and they're like, look what you And they look and they see. And now all of a sudden, there's these three guys, like very close to the statue, and they're standing. The only three out of thousands of people that are standing. And they're like, what's going on? We know those guys. Those are public officials. They should be down on the ground. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel's friends. Three guys are standing. Everyone else is on their knees. Three, three guys are not bowing down. They're not worshiping this statue. And finally, in verse 8, it says this. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Now, that word denounced doesn't just mean, hey, you guys might want to sit down. It's like they're in their face. And they're telling them that we're going to eat you to pieces because you should be bowing down. Hostility is at this big thing. And all of a sudden, it gets to the king. And the king looks down and he goes, why are those three guys standing up? In verse 13, it says this, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of the gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? King Nebuchadnezzar asked that question. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Now, he's not really looking for an answer. He's not seeking information. He doesn't want them to talk. He's just making a point. It's called a rhetorical question. In other words, you don't expect the person to say anything. You're just making a point in saying it. It's kind of like with parents. You know what the number one rhetorical question of parents is, right? Do you want a spanking? When a parent says that, they're not making a point. I mean, they're not asking for more information. They're not asking for an answer. They're just making a point. So when they go, do you want a spanking? You know, kids aren't sitting around going, what? Well, I'm playing my PlayStation, but I mean, I guess the spanking would be okay. Could we set it up like 4 o'clock, you know? No. It's a rhetorical question. So when King Nebuchadnezzar asked what God can deliver you from his hand, he's saying, I don't want information. I don't want an answer. I'm just telling you guys, if you don't bow down and worship this statue, it's over for you. You will be burned alive. I'm telling you guys, this is your last chance. You better do what I'm telling you. And to the king's surprise, they do respond to it. 
In verse 16, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and we will rescue, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's one of the most powerful statements in the book of Daniel and in the entire Bible. If you got your little notes out, you should circle this and keep it. Because what you came for today on 4th of July weekend is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. Our God is able to save us from the furnace. He's able to save us from our danger. He is able to deliver us even from the hand of a king. Our God is able. In fact, if you forget everything else that I say today, and you walk off and you do your cookout or whatever, remember these words. The God that we serve is able. The God that we worshiped this morning when Isaac and Blake were leading us, and they did a great job of kind of leading us into it. The God that we serve is able. He's able for you, and He's able for me. I want to tell you a little story about how God is able. It's a story of faith. It's written by a guy by the name of Ken Davis, who is a, um, a great communicator, a comedian, a, a well-known author. And he writes this story of faith. And uh, since it's story time, I'm going to sit down so I read it a little bit better. Here's the story. He says this in one of his books. Ken writes, a pastor friend of mine, Joel Morgan, planned on visiting missionaries in Eastern Europe. He asked friends who traveled in that area what he ought to pack. There were many helpful suggestions, but everyone agreed that he should pack extra food. While staying in rural villages with no electricity or running water, they may, need to, uh, they may not have meals. It would be wise to have easily packed snacks on hand for survival rations. One missionary warned Joel to bring more than he needed. Some of his supplies might be confiscated at customs. And Joel asked him questions as wondering what he should get at the grocery store. What shall I take that won't capture the eye of the customs agent? What won't spill? What will serve as an energy boost? And as he goes to the store, he whispers this prayer. Lord, you know the things I'll need and the things that will make it through customs. I'm just going to walk down these aisles trusting you to prompt me to get the right things. Instantly his, fell, instantly his eyes fell on Reese's peanut butter cups. He put a king-size Reese's, Reese's peanut butter cup uh, into the cart. Further down the aisle he walked, he was drawn to an arrangement of tapioca pudding. From my perspective, this is Ken writing, when anyone is drawn to tapioca pudding, it's already a miracle. <laughs> Finally, he scooped up some small cans of fruit cocktail, some gum, and some hard candy. Surely, he thought, these items will tide me over if I get hungry. 
On the fourth day of the trip, Joel arrived in Romania. He would spend several days with a couple who labored for 14 months there. The family was sent to Romania by a national missions organization, but for all practical purposes, they had been forgotten. They they faced harsh conditions. Heat and electricity were often turned off for days in their village. Joel and his team were the first English-speaking people the missionaries had seen in six months. The simple opportunity to talk with people uh, who spoke their same language was a cause for celebration. And their two teenage daughters were starved for anything that was American. Joel spent some time chatting and praying with with this family. They were about to leave, and he suddenly thought about all the survival goodies that he had put in his uh, his, uh, pack that he had put over a week ago. And he had an idea. It's October. But I won't see these people at Christmas. Why don't we just celebrate an early Christmas? He retrieved the backpack with all the goodies securely uh, hidden inside. And then he sat down with his family, with this family, in the living room. Joel kind of took the role of Santa Claus and he played it to the hilt. He asked the two teenage girls, if they could have one thing from the U.S., what would it be? And in unison, they said, candy. What kind of candy, Joel asked. Confident that they would be happy with anything he offered, the mother chimed in, the girls love Reese Pieces peanut butter cups, but they're not available in this part of the world. With a lump in his throat, Joel reached into his backpack and pulled out the king-size package of peanut butter cups, and he gave it to them. The girls jumped up and down joyfully, laughing as they held their treasures between them. Wiping a tear away from his eyes, Joel asked their mother, What item back home have you missed the most? And it was a risk. What if she said, A side of beef. But with one miracle already in the bag, he decided to go for it. And she said, I miss fruit. The mother replied sheepishly, especially citrus. Reaching into Santa's bag, Joel extracted a can of fruit cocktail, a tin of canned uh, mandarin oranges. Now everybody was laughing and wiping away tears of joy after a time of celebration and amazement. Joel finally turned to the father. The backpack was nearly empty now. He considered removing all the items and putting them out there and letting the father just choose which one that he wanted. I mean, two out of three miracles ain't bad, you know. Why press your luck? But something deep in Joel's uh, soul shouted, Go for it. And before he could kind of wrestle with God, he just asked the guy, Gary, what's your favorite dessert? This wonderful servant of God smiled and said, It's something no one else in the world likes, tapioca pudding. Joel nearly injured himself, taking out all of the pudding packs and racing across the room and giving them to this man, which God had prompted him seven days earlier, 4,000 miles away. What followed was praise and worship in its truest form. 
Nine people crowded into a living room in Romania, weeping and singing and praising God. And that day, they learned a new appreciation for what Philippians 4.19 says. My God will supply all of your needs according to His richest glories in Christ Jesus. Friends, God is able. In fact, we could go around the gymnasium today and we could ask person after person after person after person, has God been able for you? And we could tell stories all week long of how God was able for us. The God we serve is able. He's able to sever, uh, or He's able to uh, take severed relationships, marriages, and heal them and bring them back together. And the reason I know that is because I've seen it happen in the lives of some of you. The God we serve is able to help people to become free from addictions. And He's done it for people in this room. The God we serve is able to take damaged bodies and heal them and make them new. He's able to forgive the darkest sins of our lives. The God we serve is able to provide the greatest need you have to give you spiritual wisdom that goes beyond yourself. The God we serve is able to take the hardest heart and make it soft. And I know that because He's done that with hearts of people in this place. He's able to take the rebel who has run the farthest away from Him and bring him back safely home. And everybody in this room today is a testimony of this truth. The God that we serve is able. Now we could stop right there and the story would be great. But Daniel and his friends are not enough just to say that God is able. But they go one step further and this is the point that we want to take home as we uh, go to our second half. God is able to rescue me. But even if He doesn't, I will not serve another God. God is able to rescue me, but even if He doesn't, I will not serve another God. Verse 16 again says this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we, are, we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from His hand, O King. Then verse 18 gives this powerful phrase of faith when they say this, but even if He doesn't, even if we die, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They're saying, we've already made our minds up. We stood up when everyone else was bowing down, and now even if you throw us into the blazing furnace, we will not bow down to your God. We will only worship the one true God because we know that He is able. Our God is able to answer our deepest prayers to fulfill our greatest dreams. But this is a question I want to ask you this morning. What about when He doesn't? What about when He doesn't answer the prayers, either in your timing or what you want? 
What about when your greatest dream falls away and it's not answered? You know, one of the values here at the jar is growing deeper in Jesus. And out of all of the five values that we live by, celebrative worship, authentic community, outward focused, every person a gifted servant, the one that I have spent the least amount of time in is trying to help people to grow into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We do a great job of bringing people in, letting them know that they belong, that they're loved, that Jesus cares for them, but to take them that next step. But as we close in on year number five in our anniversary, I am going to be more committed than ever to help every single person that wants to know Jesus Christ, not just to get a little bit, but to get the full dose so that when I'm not around, when other people aren't around, when you go through difficult times, you'll be able to say to yourself, even if He doesn't, I will serve People like Job. Some of you don't know that story of Job. You thought it was Job, didn't you? Here's a guy in the Bible. He refused to dishonor God. Despite the fact that all of his kids were killed, his property was destroyed, and his health got so bad that he had boils all over himself. In the middle of the book, folks, If you ever read it, it's a verse you should commit to memory. He says this, Even though He slay me, I will trust Him. Even though God slays me, I will trust Him. And every single day, Job faced something. Every single day, I know each one of you, you face something. And I'll tell you, when faith, when rubber meets the road, when faith hits its point, it's when you can honestly say, even if God slays me, I will serve Him. I have a good friend named Fred. And uh, his wife battled colon cancer for two decades. And for the longest time, Fred prayed and hoped and worked and studied everything about the disease. And Fred just clung to the hope of the first point. Our God is able. And eventually it looked like his wife Connie was going to be healed because he got a part of only seven people in the entire world to go through a research trial at the university uh, or the, uh, the Ohio State University. And Fred spent thousands of dollars to be able to take her back and forth to Ohio State. This man was a wealthy man. He owned his own construction company. He would have given up his company, his home, his health, his his life. He would have done anything if his one prayer could have been answered, that his wife would be healed. And for some reason that he and I don't know, 
And we'll never know until we get to heaven. It wasn't meant to be. And ten years ago, I buried Connie. And I'll never forget, as tears were flowing from his eyes, if I have to give her up, I'm willing to do that, but I will not let go of God. I want this more than anything I've wanted in my life. She is the love of my life. If I have to, though, I will let her go, but I will serve God. Though He slay me, I will trust Him. You know, a lot of people pray that prayer all the time, don't they? God, if you just answer this one prayer, I'll do everything for you for life. Grant me this one request. Come through on this one dream and I'll serve you. I'll spend the rest of my life following you. God, if you just do this, I will do wonderful things for you. But my friend Fred lost his most treasured bride of love. And you know what he spends his time doing now? He goes throughout the U.S. to the poorest of poor and he serves them. The group that's going to Appalachia, our middle school kids, this next week, Fred was one of the instrumental people that helped renew that whole place where people are just kind of thrown away. He goes to Mexico. He's built hundreds of houses for people who are poor. And folks, this morning, the question that I want to ask you is this. Will you give your devotion to God even if He doesn't? I mean, maybe you're in a relationship right now and you are highly drawn to this person, highly attracted to them. And the reality is they have some behaviors in their life that you just think, these are not my values. Now, we can rationalize and we can say, oh, yeah, 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 but it'll work and on and on and on. But the reality is we just get afraid. What if I never find someone else? What if I never find a person like that? I may end up alone. Folks, listen. God is able, and He is able to find someone better for you. But today, what I'm asking you to say is these words. Even if He doesn't, even if He doesn't bring someone else into your life, even if it means facing fear and aloneness, will you say, I will not dishonor God? I will not bend the knee to a relationship that does not please God, even if He doesn't. Maybe you're in a marriage, and to be quite honest, it sucks. You're disappointed. You think, man, this thing is not what I had hoped it to be. God, I know you're able, and you could do something, God, but today I'm asking you to say this. God, even if you don't, even if the marriage that I dreamed of doesn't come to be, I will keep my commitment to you. Many of us are here today and we're facing financial difficulties. You've lost your job. You know someone has. You're on the verge of it. You don't know what's going to go on. You're struggling. You've been asking God, provide for my needs, God. And God's able to meet every financial need. I've seen Him do it in my life long before Jennifer ever became a doctor. When we were making $16,000 and need after need financially was just kind of made. But today I'm asking you to say, even if He doesn't, 
I will not worship a God of gold. I will not bend a knee. I will honor him with what he's given to me. And finally, the truth for some of us here today, you've been saying to yourself, if God, if you would just make my family or the people at work or the people in church a little bit more affectionate, a little bit more loving, then I'll give my time and my service. And today I'm asking you to say this, even if he doesn't, even if people in your life and your family continue to be difficult for the rest of your life, I will serve him with full devotion. I will serve him with full devotion. I will serve them as if I am serving him. Because he is worthy of a fully devoted life. I'm asking you to pray about it, to say it today. You know, this is what I found in my life. When my life is going well, and I go through a day, and all my checklists kind of get checked off, and everything's going well, and I feel successful, man, I'm ready to celebrate and worship God. I'm ready to talk to people about God. I'm ready to uh, read the Bible, pray, any of those kind of things. But if I get even a little bit close to the furnace... I immediately begin to bow a knee to the gods of self-absorption and self-interest and self-pity. Because when King Nebuchadnezzar built this great big 90-foot statue, folks, you know what that was representative of? The God of me. Me, myself, and I. It's the trapping we all fall into to focus on me. Each day, you and I have a choice to worship God or to worship ourselves. And the choice is up to you. You know, one day Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, was faced with that exact same thing. He was in a garden the night before He died on a cross and He was praying. And He had a choice. Am I going to worship my Heavenly Father Or am I going to worship myself? And the scripture says this. Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will, not mine. Jesus is fully divine and fully human. He's crying out in that moment, God, if you can take this away, if you can remove the pain, if we can just go away from the cross and I can just keep on living, I'm willing to do that, God. If it can be taken away, if nails are in my hands and a sword in my side and humiliation like an animal for over a 12-hour period, God, if you can take that away, I, I really kind of want that. But you know, in the end result, God, I want your will more than my own. Though He slay me, still I will trust Him. Folks, God is infinitely able to take care of all of your needs, no matter what it is. But today I'm asking you, even when He does not, will you follow Him? If you would, I'd like you to stand uh, for our closing And we're going to do it a little different. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of close by asking some questions and and prayer. 
And then we're going to sing a praise to God, and then you, we'll be done. You guys can leave after that. Isaac will tell you happy Fourth of July and all that. And so, if you would, I'd like you to just kind of close your eyes and connect with God. You don't have to, but it'll help a little bit more. And I just want to ask you this morning. Is there any place where fear or disappointment or hurt or sin has been keeping you from following God? And whatever that is, you can just give that to God right now. Is there any place in your heart where uh, you're not trusting Him? Maybe you've been trusting somebody else. Maybe you've been trusting yourself. If you would, just kind of quietly in your heart that you just pray to God. Heavenly Father, even if you don't meet my every desire I will still follow you let's worship God now with our full hearts